As you've likely experienced, Boston is very hard on cars. I don't mean the drivers. The drivers are bad. We are bad and bad on cars. But I don't mean that this morning. I don't mean the potholes, although the potholes are horrible. This time of year, worse than ever. The very first winter we were here, in one day, two different potholes. I blew out two different tires on the same car. But I'm not talking about potholes even. There's another way that Boston, the Northeast, New England, is very difficult on cars, and that is because of rust, because of the humidity, because of the, the salt and the air from the ocean and the salt that is put on the roads. It is particularly bad on cars. So I hate to tell you, when you buy a new car, if you buy a new car, I mean, I think before you even get it off the lot, invisibly, rust is at work. And day by day, week by week, there's more and more rust. Year by year, silently, invisibly, and slowly becoming visible, rust eats away at our cars. Before our eyes, we see spots of rust begin to grow. The muffler rusts. It's worse year by year. But today, I want to tell you about a redeeming quality of the rust of your car. How even starting today, when you walk out, you could be encouraged in following Jesus when you see rust on your car. Because today I want to encourage you that from now on, when you see the rust on your car, let it cause you to think of Jesus' words today. A reminder every time you see rust, as Jesus gives us great wisdom today on the reality of rust and hope for a better way. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, to Matthew chapter 6. Today we're in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19. And the Bible's near you. You can find it on page 811. Page 811 in those Bibles. I encourage you to open up a copy of the Bible or a Bible app, just so you can see the text in front of you. You see exactly where I'm drawing these thoughts from. If you're newer to reading the Bible, the larger numbers are the chapter numbers. So we're in chapter 6. The smaller numbers are the verse numbers. We're starting in verse 19. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we as a church would love to give you one today as a gift. So at the back of the room, there's an information table. There's a stack of Bibles there. Following the service, just grab one of those. You don't have to ask permission. Grab one and take it with you today as our gift. So Matthew 6, we pick up the words of Jesus in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This morning, as we look at this passage, I want us to see this emphasis. Serve God from the heart with your resources and store up lasting treasures. Serve God from the heart with your resources and store up lasting treasures. And this morning, as we look at our text, we'll do so by asking, trying to answer three questions. First, where is your treasure? Second, how healthy are your eyes? 
Third, who is your master? So first, where is your treasure? In verses 19 to 21. Today we're continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount, this famous sermon of Jesus from Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. As we've been reminding ourselves each week so we don't lose sight that, that in this sermon, Jesus the King has come. And his kingdom has broken into the world. And in the sermon, he's describing what life in his kingdom can look like, is to look like. But very importantly, we don't want to misunderstand. In the sermon, Jesus is not saying, if you live up to this sermon, then you earn your way into the kingdom. That's not what he's saying. But the good news is the king has come, Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. He was raised triumphant to provide this free gift of salvation to any and all who would receive it by faith. And upon receiving that gift, we now live in his kingdom, and now we seek to live out the life that Jesus portrays for us in this sermon. And in our text today, in verses 19 to 21, Jesus makes it clear that every person is storing up or laying up treasure. So, friend, whether you know it or not, you are today storing up treasure. I am storing up treasure. The question is not if we will do it, but where. Where will you store up treasure? And Jesus says there are two options. A person can lay up, store up treasures on earth, or lay up, store up treasures in heaven. And very helpfully, he contrasts to us what these different ways are like. The wisdom of these two options. So look down at verse 19. He says, you can store up treasures on earth, but here, here are the risks, the realities of doing so. Moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. Those were the common dangers of that day, which are not too different from the dangers we face today. Things still wear out. Things break. Things do rust. They become outdated. They lose value. They can be stolen. Investments lose their value. Inflation, which I've heard up once in a while lately, can, can impact the value of our money. So Jesus makes the case that it's risky, unwise, to try to store up treasures on earth. He says, don't do that, but instead, store them up in heaven. And notice the realities of what that is about. Verse 20, there he says, in heaven, neither rust nor moth destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. So he makes a clear picture. So we want to consider, which is the wiser place to invest? I mean, in downtown Boston, if you walk around in there, it seems like there's a bank everywhere. Bank after bank on every corner. But let's imagine on one block, on one corner, there's a bank. And they have on their sign, invest here. Your money will likely lose its value. Very possibly will be stolen. But we'd love to have your business. But then you walk to the other end of the block, and there's a bank that says here, your bank will, your money will only gain value. It is secure. It will never be stolen. I mean, which one of those with your $100 are you going to go to? I mean, obviously, no one's going to go to the bank that says, we guarantee you your money will lose its value. We guarantee your money will be stolen. Friend, is that clear that Jesus says, here are the two ways. Here are the two options, the two places we can store up treasures. So, friend, which would you choose? And yet, the fact is, so many in our society, in our city, So many of us spend our lives storing up treasures on earth that moths and rust do destroy, that do 
lose their value, that sometimes are stolen. But why? Why are we drawn to treasures here and now? There are a number of reasons. One, these treasures here and now are visible. They're tangible. You can touch them. You can hold them. They're also immediate. Very often you pay for it today, you get it today or tomorrow. Also, storing up treasure here can seem like it will bring security in life. It can feel like we have control if we have enough treasure here. Treasure on earth can also bring pleasure for a time. And the fact is, everyone is doing the same. So it seems normal because everyone's doing it. Now, as we look at our text today, we want to be sure that we notice that Jesus is not saying don't store up treasures. That's not what he's saying. In fact, friend, he does want you to store up treasures. He's urging us to store up treasures. The question is, where will we store it up? Now, what determines whether we're storing up on earth or in heaven? Much of it has to do with our, our motives and our desires and what we're doing. And a significant part of it is what we do with our material possessions. It's not only that, but that's the emphasis of our text today. Jesus is specifically looking at how we store up by what we do with our financial resources. Because of how he talks about how things wear out, as well, he'll speak very directly to money in verse 24. But you may think, but isn't it selfish for me to want to store up treasures in heaven? That's an insightful question for a Christian to ask, because so much of Christianity is seeking to give away, to serve others. So is it inappropriate for me to store up treasures for myself in heaven? Author Randy Alcorn is helpful here. He says this, Doesn't it seem strange that Jesus commands us to do what's in our best interests? Wouldn't that be selfish? No. God expects and commands us to act out of enlightened self-interest. He wants us to live to His glory, but what is to His glory is always to our good. Selfishness is when we pursue gain at the expense of others. But God doesn't have a limited number of treasures to distribute. When you store up treasures for yourself in heaven, it doesn't reduce the treasures available to others. In fact, it is by serving God and others that we store up heavenly treasures. Friends, the reality is that if we don't intentionally choose to store up treasures in heaven, we will, by default, store up treasures on earth. Jesus then makes this penetrating statement, verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying our hearts follow our treasure. Our hearts follow what we do with our material resources, with our money and possessions. If I was to ask each of you, many of you would probably tell me that there are certain ideals, movements, world-changing things that, that you are committed to, that you want to see happen. You say, my heart is with that. And that's a worthwhile thing to say, my heart is there, but, but how do we know? If I say I believe that, but how do I know if my heart is really in it? By examining, are my treasures connected to that? Am I investing my treasures in what I say my heart is really all about? For instance, if you own stock in a particular company, 
you very likely begin to follow that company more closely. Two weeks ago, you didn't own stock, didn't pay attention to them. But now that you own stock in the company, you listen to the reports, you, you watch what's going on with them because now you are invested. Your heart is in it. So friend, I wonder, where is your treasure? And therefore, where is your heart today? Not where do you want it to be, but where is it in fact? So you might ask yourself these questions. Where is it that I honestly invest my time? The time that I have, that I have control over, where do I invest my time? What tends to dominate my thoughts? Where do I invest my financial resources? What concerns my heart the most? And when I dream about the future, when I aspire to the future, what do I dream about? What, what, are, what are my hopes? So friend, where is your heart today? And if you're honest, is that where you want your heart to be? And if I want to be focused on the things of God, the kingdom of God, his heart for the city, for the nations, how do I redirect my treasure so that my heart might be there as well? Friends, we want to see that Jesus wants a different way for his people. He does want us to invest, but he wants us to invest wisely, storing up treasures for eternity that will last. He wants us to know the, the life today of a well-directed heart. So friends, where is your heart and your treasure today? The second question is this, how healthy are your eyes? Verse 22 and 23, look down at those. Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So Jesus says, what our eyes look at, and therefore what our minds think about, help to determine the health of our entire being, of our soul. What do I look at? What do I think about? What do I dwell upon? And he says, if, if what I think about is healthy, meaning single-minded, so if I'm single-minded on the kingdom of Jesus, then my whole body, all of who I am, will be healthy, filled with light. However, he says, on the other hand, if my eyes are, and motivations are, are not directed in a single-minded way to the kingdom of Jesus, then I'm filled with darkness. And how great is the darkness? So, friend, what you look at often, either in person or online, and what you think about deeply with the eyes of your heart will affect your spiritual health. So if I think about it, if I treasure in my looking and thinking some particular possessions or some particular position in life, in, world, in the world, eventually that will shape who I am. And if it's the darkness marked by greed and materialism, it infects every part of who we are. But the danger and the challenge is that we can live with our sight not very clear and it becomes normal because it's all that we've known. We've become so familiar with sight that is not sharp. This is the only life we've known. A few years ago, I went for a, a, a 
eye, eye doctor appointment. I've had eyes that need glasses for years. So I'm used to, you know, having an examination and things are blurry. He's telling me, you know, you need, you need a new prescription. That's not surprising. Well, a number of years ago, I went and I did a test that I don't remember doing before. So he showed me this picture with a variety of colors on it. And he said, tell me what number is in there. And I thought to myself, like, I don't know that there's a number in there, but, but clearly it's a test. So I look and so I take a guess and say the number and he flips to the next one. Okay, tell me the number here. Color's a little bit different. Still really hard. But, you know, doing my best. I'm already starting to kind of get nervous because I hate failing tests, but I, it's becoming clear. I'm failing this test. I'm kind of breaking out in a sweat. So we go through about three and he said, let's start over. So he goes back to the beginning of the test and he's trying his best to kind of help me. To, it becomes clear like I am failing this test. And if you've done it, it's a, it's a test for colorblindness. Now, never before in my life had I failed the test. It may explain a lot of things about me now in hindsight, but evidently my, my sight was off. Not, I mean, I'm not fully colorblind, but in you know, distinguishing certain colors, I never knew it, though. Now, once I knew it, it, it caused me to look back and, oh, my goodness, who, who knows how I've dressed in the past and, and sometimes still is a little sketchy. I try to run my you know, outfits by Brandy, but occasionally I don't have time. So if you ever see me like way off, just be like, he really is colorblind. Like, that's a really, that's, that's a bad day for, for his dress and attire today. So my sight was off, but I didn't know it. I was living with that outlook, and it seemed normal to me, but apparently it wasn't normal for the world. Friends, so it is with the eyes of our heart. Our sight can be off, but we've been seeing the world so long like that that it just seems normal to us. Friends, Jesus is cautioning us, be careful be alert to that very real danger. Now, sometimes we can be honest enough to assess our own sight. It might be today, like just through reading this text, you might leave here today and think, I need to really think through, am I seeing clearly? But very often we may need a, an extra set of eyes to help us think about our own lives, to even think, think about how we use our own possessions because our sight can be off. A few weeks ago, as we were thinking, we're walking away through this sermon, we talked about the, the struggle with lust. And we said, if there are things that we're tempted to look at, to watch, that the wisest thing would be to really guard what we look at, to stop looking at certain things. But friends, I wonder, isn't the same true here? If there are certain things that I look at, places that I go, social media sites that I follow, but if I find when I look at them, they actually stir within me a desire for treasures on earth. If they stir up greed and coveting, wouldn't I want with the same sort of diligence to say, look, that's just not helpful for me. It's not, maybe it's not universally applied to everyone. Just knowing yourself, you say, look, there's a, some sites on social media or maybe just friends. Like when I see their life, it just stirs in me coveting and greed and a desire for treasures now. So, friend, how healthy are your eyes? And then the third question, who is your master? Look down at verse 24. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus makes clear that every person will serve a master. Whether we realize it or not, whether we want to or not, everyone serves a master. So the question is, who are you serving? 
And we would think, well, you could potentially work for two employers. That's certainly true. Many of you work for more than one employer. But the sense of this is not an employer, but more of an owner. Just saying, you can either be owned by one or the other, and there are two masters listed here. And Jesus says, if you try to serve two, you will hate one and love the other. You will despise one and be devoted to the other. And Jesus draws it down to these two masters in particular, God and money. And by money, he means not simply money, but money and the possessions, the, the, the objects that money can buy. So those are the two options for masters. And Jesus says you can't serve both of them. So if you try to serve both, Jesus is saying what we'll end up doing is hating God, despising God. I might think, but how could that happen to one who professes to be a Christian? Well, friends, it won't be like an instantaneous change, but a creeping, growing sense. That could happen, for instance, when you're hearing the call of Jesus to, to live in line with his kingdom marked by sacrificial generosity. And perhaps in the past you would have said, yes, I agree, but, but in time you begin to resent Jesus saying, give freely of what you have. You resent Jesus saying, give to those in need. It creeps and we don't want to be generous anymore. It becomes harder and harder to not live for our possessions. Friends, the grave danger is that we end up hating, despising Jesus. This, of course, is not done through one big decision, but it's a million small decisions, seemingly inconsequential decisions that ultimately set us on a course where we end up in a place far different from what we intended. And it can show up so subtly as we're moving down that road. So we might begin to say things like, you know what, I just need a few more hours to work each week. So I had found a small group, a community group, really helpful to me, but I need to work that. So I don't have time for that anymore. And then it becomes, well, you know, I need to work on Sunday morning. I'm, in fact, I'm choosing to work on Sunday morning because I've just got to have those hours too to get where I want to go, at least for now. And then it becomes, you know, I'm working so many hours. I don't work on Sunday morning, but I work so many hours of the week. I mean, Sunday morning is the morning for me, so I need time for myself alone. some questions to consider, but maybe you're heading down that path would be, do you now tend to avoid or just find yourself uncomfortable with biblical texts on money and possessions? I mean, when I started reading the text today, was there something inside of you that wasn't like, oh, I'm looking forward to seeing this? Is it like, oh, money again? Do you get frustrated when the scriptures regularly are calling us to be sacrificial and generous? Do you find yourself often rationalizing, justifying your decisions with what you do with your resources? Friends, no one who's a Christian sets out desiring to hate and despise God. But this is a very real danger Jesus is holding out, so be alert to the seriousness of this. We tend to think we're exceptional. We can pull off both. We can love God and embrace loving things as well. Author Charles Price helps us here. He describes this progression that so happens in our lives. Here's what he says. What begins as treasure 
presents itself as something which serves us and furthers our interests. That's the nature of the treasure. It is a servant to us. In our pursuit of it, our treasure becomes our vision, the goal on which our sight is set, the motivation that drives us. But in time, what began as our treasure and grew into our vision becomes our master. Instead of it serving us, the treasure, we serve it. It becomes our master. Friends, we have these two masters. And there's a great difference. Money and possessions is the master that is never satisfied. But if you serve money and possessions, you will find no true peace in this life, no lasting joy. There's always going to be a need for more and more. Money and possessions is a vicious taskmaster. But the alternative is God, our gracious Father, our Master, our gracious Father who has invited us to know Him as Father. And in Him, friends, we find satisfaction, security freedom, and joy. Our Heavenly Father does not need our money. Jesus talks about money not because Jesus needs our money, but because He cares for us. He wants to protect us from spending our life in what does not matter. So friend, those are the two masters. The one that never satisfies. The one that brings joy, peace, promises for the life to come. So which master will you choose to live under? Unfortunately, I can't tell you that this is a one-time fight. You settled it this morning, you never face it again. Instead, it's the decisions made day after day, year after year, again and again and again. It is a lifelong battle for every single one of us. So you could live well for years and lose the path. But the good news is you may have lived poorly for years. There's still time to find the path, the good way of Jesus. There are a number of sort of related topics we want to be mindful of today. The first one is this, friends. There's there's nothing inherently wrong or sinful about money and material possessions. So that's a biblical outlook. They're not in and of themselves bad nor good. And it is completely appropriate for Christians to own things. Even putting aside and saving money is also not prohibited in the Scripture. In fact, it's planning for the future is commended in the book of Proverbs. So it's a wise thing for a Christian to to think ahead and to save. But of course, there's a, a big difference between prudent saving and selfish accumulation. It's hard to discern which we're doing, isn't it? So you might ask yourself, why do I save? Why do I save at the rate that I save? Is it out of fear? Is it for the sake of a sense of control? Out of a desire to be self-reliant? And friends, here Jesus is not calling us to, to hate the good things that God has created. God has filled this world with so many things that God's people can enjoy. So the Christian life is not this joyless life despising the good gifts of this world. We can't appropriately take them in and enjoy them. This is also not a prohibition of some Christians being wealthy. In the New Testament, we see some who follow Jesus who are wealthy, like we see Joseph of Arimathea, who provides a tomb for Jesus' body. 
We see Lydia plays a key role in the church in Philippi, using her resources. We see um, uh, Zacchaeus, whose life changed, using his wealth. Friends, across the centuries today, God graciously blesses some with wealth, and faithful Christians can use that wealth well for the kingdom. And because it's about our heart and our motive, two people can have the very same living standards, the same income, and have two very different places of their heart, two very different motivations in what they're doing. And the challenge is this, it's easy for us to critique others and to think about what they should do. Almost none of us think we're wealthy, right? We're, we're, we, we tell the wealthy what they should do with their money. He should be more generous. She should be more generous. So easy to critique others, not so easy to critique ourselves. Now, sometimes our accumulation of treasures can be obvious. But, friends, you could live a very simple life, but saving for the sake of control so no one around you would know you're materialistic. But, in fact, you're just as materialistic, just in a different way. Because you must have security control. So you save and save and save fundamentally because you think that is where you'll find your security. Now, how do we make progress? One of the most fundamental, powerful ways we make progress is to regularly, systematically, generously give away our resources. It's one of the surest ways to fight our own greed, to work against coveting, and to, to lay up treasures in heaven is to give our resources away. And as we do that, that moves our heart because where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be also. Now, you might say as you think about giving to something, so my heart's not in it yet, so when my heart is in it, then I'll give to it. But, but in fact, it's the, it's the other way around. Give first, and your heart will follow. This is what you want to be about. This is what you want to believe in. Start giving, and you'll begin to be more interested in it. We're helping to plant a church in Bedford, and so the, the planting couple, Scott and Cape Cope, have raised money from a lot of people outside of Boston who've given sacrificially for the sake of the church plant. But you know why they've given? Not because they necessarily love Bedford, because most of them have never been to Bedford. They probably couldn't find it on a map. But they love Scott and Kate Cope, and they love the gospel. So like, we're going to give sacrificially to that because we care about that, so their treasures are going in that direction. We as a church have said we want to support them as well. Over the last couple of weeks, if you remember, we, we talked about you know, just some startup costs that they have, and, and here's some ways that you could give just directly to that. And through that, you, our church, just in a couple of weeks gave over $20,000 to just meet needs. That's generosity on your behalf of saying, we, we want to put our treasures where we want our heart to be, which is in the planting of new churches, and you have done that. I think for many of us, there's a temptation to think, well, at a certain point in the future, I'm going to really be generous. So it might be at a certain age. Often it's, it's a certain sort of level of wealth. We think, when I reach that, then I'll really be generous. But let me just caution you, it's easy to say, harder to do. If you're not generous with what you have now, I wouldn't be certain you'll be generous when you have more. Because we'll always find other things to spend our other ways to justify the use of our resources. So start giving now from what you have. And friends, the good news is if you've been spending years of your life, maybe honestly not storing up treasures 
in heaven. But there's plenty of time now. Turn now. Start storing up treasures in heaven now. And so we see in the scriptures that very often God prospers his people who are generous so they can be generous. So God's people who are giving those resources away, very often God gives to them more, not so they hold on to it though, because he trusts them because they just keep giving it away. So we don't give, so he'll give to us, but it's just the normal pattern that God loves to give to individuals and the churches who want to be generous. So friend, as you give it away, God very well may prosper you, but he has not prospered you, so you can then stop giving and start accumulating. So friend, in light of this, and some of the challenges, you might want to think about setting up some safeguards in your life. I want to encourage you, be connected to a real Christian community. Real people, in person, who know you and who you trust. Invite other people in that church into your life, and especially, I would say, in times of prosperity. Let's say that you know a raise is coming or a new job is coming. Maybe a first job. For the first time, you're going to have a job with resources. Or maybe you have a big bonus coming. That may be the time that you would be helped to say, I have some trusted brothers and sisters in my church, and I just want to say, can you help me to make sure that I do this well, that I do it right? That's one of the reasons, friends, to put down roots in a local church. Join it so that you have these people who you know that in time when those challenges, opportunities come, you have these other voices in your life. Now, many of you in our neighborhood of the city aren't wealthy now. And so you might think, well, I'm a student. I'm poor. Future topic. But based on your education and trajectory in the future, it's very possible many of you will be able to accumulate wealth in the future. So let me say now, before you have it, is the time to be thinking about that. Planning and preparing. And let me encourage you, being generous now with the little bit that you do have. Because if you build the habit of generosity with the little bit that you do have, it will help you in the future when you have more. So prepare now. So that when you move away years from now and you have more, you're able to give freely then. And remember our address here at Hope Fellowship Church when you're in the future when you... No, I'm just kidding. And friend, if you're with us today and you're not a Christian, we're so glad you've joined us today. And if you're really new to church, you might have thought all Christians do is talk about money. And you're like, just as I thought, he's talking about money. Well, we don't talk about money every week. Come back next week, we will not be talking about money. But we do talk about money because Jesus knows it's important. And it so easily grabs our heart. But most of all, what we want you to consider today is not how you might handle your money how you might handle treasures in this life. What we most want you to know is Jesus, who is the ultimate treasure. The Savior who the Scriptures tell of us, he who was rich became poor that we might become rich. The Savior came near, took on flesh, humbled himself, lived the perfect life, died a sacrificial death, was raised triumphant to provide this free gift of salvation for any and all who'd receive it by faith. Friends, that is what we want you to know. And that upon knowing Jesus, if you follow him, he will impact every part of your life, including how you use your money. But the most important topic is what will you do with Jesus today? For those of us who are Christians, we want to see today that Jesus is not simply calling us away from something. He's calling us to a life. 
He is certainly calling us away from coveting and greed and materialism, but he's calling us to something great, a life that invests well for eternity. The stores up treasure in heaven, a life that's marked now by increasing generosity. And friends, when we embrace this life with our gracious Father as our master, here and now we can live with greater freedom, increasing joy. We can know real peace in this life grow in our desire to give away our resources, to, to care for those in need, to give to the sake of the kingdom of God. Friend, isn't that what you want to do? Isn't that a life that's really worth living? And friend, if we pursue this, God will be glorified in us, and it will be for our good, and it will be out of step with our culture in a helpful way. We have a city filled with people who are storing up treasures on earth, but it's not truly satisfying them. There's not peace to be found. So imagine if in your circles of, of co-workers and family members and friends that, that you were distinctive by this peace that you have, this joy that you have. You're not trapped by your possessions. You even are marked by generosity. Friend, that life will be a light that will be attractive. It might even be the, the, the road by which eventually you could share the good news of Jesus Christ. Why your life is like that. Not because you're so good, but because of your Savior who has and is changing you, friends. That's the life that's really worth living. And by God's grace, friends, that is possible for us. For you and for me and for us together as a church. Now this morning, as a means of response, there are several ways to respond. One of those is the connection card. So maybe you have questions or you want to know more about Christianity. You can note that. Just a few moments, we'll receive the offering. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, I'll be at the door. We'd love to chat with you. Or maybe you came with a friend, family member. If they're a Christian, they would love to tell you more as well. We're going to bow our heads in a moment just for a time of silence. And there, friend, I encourage you, consider your own heart. Where is your heart? Where are you currently storing up treasures? And consider the life that Jesus has for us. So we'll bow our heads for a time of just silent praying, confession where you are. Then I'll lead us in praying, and then we'll sing as a means of response. Let's bow our heads together.